Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God. His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I am your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thank you to our generous underwriters here on Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. And Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Wednesday, July 27th, we are studying Psalm 118. This is the day that the Lord has made, but what day is that? Psalm 118 helps us to answer the question. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Mark Bars. Pastor Bars serves at Crown of Life Lutheran Church in San Antonio, Texas. Pastor Bars, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Thank you very much, Pastor Apple. Great to be with you this morning and with our hearers wherever they are and whenever they are listening, perhaps this morning, perhaps at a later time. So, Pastor Bars, we're in Psalm 118 today. As we prepare to look at this psalm, what kind of context within the Psalter, within liturgical life of the Church, what do we need to know as we prepare to look at these words? Well, there's any number of things to observe and to think about. First of all, I find it intriguing that Psalm 118 is between the shortest psalm, the two verses of Psalm 117, and the 176 verses of Psalm 119. Now, neither of those are part of your sharper iron schedule in this month of July, as you've worked your way through the Psalms almost to the almost to the end of the month and the end of, of that theme. But a great Psalm, a Psalm that the church uses frequently, maybe doesn't realize it, but, but speaks or sings it very, very often. And I'll I'll hint at some of those later on. The other thing just to to observe about many of the Psalms is that we do get ascriptions at certain times. We are told that this is a Psalm, only a singular Psalm, Psalm 90 of Moses, for example. But But many Psalms of David, and yet this one is unascribed, and that leaves open the possibilities of when it was written and for what occasion it was written. Some of those things that we can we can ponder together, and that makes it perhaps a little more interesting. It it doesn't have this the specific nature of a Psalm 51, mm-hmm. which David writes after the prophet Nathan had visited him after his his terrible sin with Bathsheba and toward Uriah. So we don't have that context at all. And yet, as I said, a psalm that the church uses, we sing it every Sunday when we sing the Sanctus, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And as you began, uh, this is the day the Lord has made, and, and we, will, we will ponder together what that day is and what that day means. That's right. Yeah. What about in the in the context of the Psalter, the Psalms that we're in, and I think this is the last one, or sometimes called the Hallel. What what's that context within this Psalm? So the as the Psalms are divided, Psalm 113 to Psalm 118 are the Hallel, sometimes the Egyptian Hallel. I'm sure that any number of our listeners might use a Lutheran study Bible. There's some helpful notes 
about, about all of that. The Hallel is the Hebrew word praise. We often say Hallel Yah, praise to Yahweh, praise the Lord. And each of these Psalms begins with, with that language. So these were Psalms that were used in, in worship, particularly, particularly at Passover time. So when, when Jesus and his disciples are in the upper room and they leave the upper room to go to Gethsemane, they sang a psalm. And very likely it was one of these psalms, Psalm 113 to 118. After that, that big psalm coming up, Psalm 119, there's another section of psalms, the Psalms of Ascent, sometimes called another Hallel, but those are Psalms 120 and, and on from there, not to the end, but beginning with 120. So certain Psalms are clustered together. The Spirit of God gave these words to poets years ago. They are the prayers and the songs then and now still of the church today. You mentioned that part of Psalm 118 gets sung every time we receive the Lord's Supper the in the Sanctus. Where else does this psalm show up in the church's liturgical life? It shows up during Holy Week and Easter, which is not a surprise that the 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 church exclaims that the Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. It's that the heart of the saving actions of our of our God, the Father who sends who sends his son. And and resurrection words, I shall not die, but I shall live. Uh, those are those are wonderful and strong and affirming words that could very well be, and, and we can hear them as such, whether they are spoken, they are not spoken this way in the Gospels, but from the mouth of our risen Lord, our risen Lord himself. Interestingly as well, and you and I know this as pastors, that we use a portion of Psalm 118 at a committal service. As we walk, as I've done many times, from a hearse to a graveside, we speak in, in the beginning of the committal service some, some portions of Psalm 118. And, and when we say, out of my distress, I called on the Lord, the Lord answered me and set me free. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. Uh, what, what wonderful words as well. And to speak the resurrection words, I shall not die, but I shall live. Hmm. You pointed out there is no historical ascription to this psalm. In fact, there's no superscription at all. Uh, is there any indication within the psalm when this might have been used within the life of Old Testament Israel? That's a good question, and I've been wondering as I've prepared for this conversation for this Bible study, because, because it's, it's clear from any number of the allusions that, that something with the temple is going on. There are, there are gates and there's an approach and there's some movement. So, so one scholar and, and the Lutheran, uh, Lutheran Study Bible does give an outline for this, but, and, it, and it suggests this and hints at it, but one scholar was, a, was more precise in some of, the, some of my own digging and reading and, and has a sequence that says, okay, the first four verses are the setting out toward the temple, and a law, the largest section, verses 5 through 18, are on the way, it is a recalling of what God has done in the past, as many of the Psalms do, and, and, and applies it to, to this particular time and this particular situation. Then at verse 19, 
at the very entrance and at the going in. Now, we don't have time and it's hard to sketch out on a, on a broadcast such as this, something that has to be visualized, but the different courts of the temple as you come closer and closer and the opening and the opening of the gate. So verse 19 at the going in, and then this scholar suggests that, that those who are waiting for those, for these arrival, these pilgrims, these worshipers, that they respond at verse, at verse 20, open to me the gates. This is the gate of the Lord. And there's some conversation, some dialogue there, as it were, verse 28, they respond with their, with their answer, with their acclamation, you are my God, I will give you thanks. And then in unison, in unison, the people of God, as we have this wonderful bookend, it's not the only Psalm that does this, but begins and ends with the same phrase or virtually the same phrase, gives thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let's go ahead and, and just read this psalm then with those bookends in mind, and we can start our conversation there with that, that bookend that we get. So this is Psalm 118. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his steadfast love endures forever. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All nations surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me, surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They went out like a fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. That's Psalm 118. Pastor Bars, as you mentioned, the first verse and last verse are bookends to the psalm. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Those, I think, are familiar words to many. Many use uh, those around mealtime as a prayer. Uh, what should we see in that, that bookend of the psalm? I'm just going to 
add a little bit of a family story in this. You know my children. You know my children. You went to school with some of them here in San Antonio at Lutheran High School. But, but they all attended Shepherd of the Hills Lutheran School. And at some point, we don't remember exactly when, in their prayers, in their meal prayers at Shepherd of the Hills, they started saying, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. I had said mercy probably since my own childhood. And, and so we made a change in our, at our home, and, and we started saying steadfast love. And, and what, was, what was so interesting, I don't know why they started that. I never, I never asked anyone, but I think they, they captured Kessid a, a bit more. So, so the translation of the English Standard Version says steadfast love. The New American Standard Version, which is often a very very correct in its, in its form, uses the word mercy. Mm. Um, his love endures forever is in certain, is in certain versions. This word chesed is such a, this, this could be an hour's worth. Mm. You know that, you know that as well. Is it, is it faithfulness? Is it covenant, covenant faithfulness? Is it kindness? Is it, is it steadfast, sure love? Is it covenant loyalty? And the answer is, I guess I might be up to F or G or H, all of the above. Right. It can be expressed in so many different ways. Such a such a rich word. The psalm that that I love to use, and, and it can be a Thanksgiving psalm, but it can be used at many times, is Psalm 136. 26 times the same phrase, the steadfast love, and his steadfast love endures forever. And what a great affirmation for the people of God, the psalmist who wrote this, the people who sang it, who chanted it, who prayed it, and the people of God who still, who still do. And then it goes into these first few verses of Psalm 118 to a, to a three-part refrain. Now, I don't want to maybe overemphasize this, but we get these three-part things happening every once in a while, and I think we should pay attention to them. The greatest one, I think, would be from Isaiah chapter 6, the trisagion, the holy, 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 which is, which is singular in its, in its way, only repeated finally in the book of Revelation. We get the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. And, and here we have three phrases, all with the same echo. Let Israel say, let the house of Aaron say, let those who fear the Lord say. So we have, we have as it were, let the covenant people of God say this. Let their priests say this. That's why the language of entering or approaching the temple, I think, has some, some really interesting possibilities. And even though in that fourth verse, let those who fear the Lord say, let the nations say. that The language of the Old Testament is not as, as narrow as we sometimes imagine it to be. The people of God are called to be a missionary people. They are to welcome the stranger and the sojourner. They are meant, the book of Isaiah tells us this in some wonderful ways, that, that the light will shine, mm -hmm. will shine for all of the nations. So, so the God-fearers that we sometimes hear that language in the New Testament, mm -hmm. it's, it's already anticipated here that each of these and together all of these say his steadfast love endures forever. So you mentioned earlier that perhaps we can consider those first four verses as the the setting out here toward the temple. And then we come to a long section of, of on the way. 
in, in which an individual cries out at the beginning, out of my distress, I called on the Lord. It's a, a first person singular person doing the, the talking here. Who, who might this be? Who should we think of as the speaker in this psalm? It's always, it's always possible that, that there is a, a story behind this. Now, when we spoke earlier about certain psalms of David, when there are very specific circumstances, we, we know what's going on. I think the best way to understand it there, here is that the I, the first person, I and me and my as it happens, he speaks as Israel. He speaks as, as the people of God. He speaks as the corporate as the corporate nation, the covenant people, just as the church still speaks today. And, and it's, not a, it's not an egotistical or a selfish way to say I when, when I am expressing the life and the faith and the longings and the prayers, the confession, the confession of the church. It, are there specific events being remembered? Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. In the larger framework, of the Old Testament, but indeed really of all of the scripture, we would always want to point to these specific salvation events, the salvation story that that God is enacting, that God is carrying out. And for the Israelites, it is always a looking back to the first Exodus. Now, they didn't know yet what was to come would be an even greater Exodus, but in the life of the church, thousands of years later, we can speak this psalm, pray this psalm, and say, out of my distress, I called on the Lord. They're remembering Egypt and, mm. and the delivery, of course, the exodus through the sea in the wilderness, crossing the Jordan into the promised land. But it's very likely, this is a psalm, it's, again, it's undated, not given historical ascription, but it seems to be and, and it probably is a post-exilic psalm. So there has been a second exodus, maybe a minor exodus, but the, the scattering from the land, some stayed, some went east, some went south to Egypt, but they are brought back together. That's why the, the possibility of this being at the dedication or the rededication of the rebuilt temple, I think, has, has validity. They, they remembered, they cried out in their distress. The Lord answered. He, he, set, he set them free. And then we get language of, not, it's not a hypothetical question. What can man do to me? Hmm. Well, man would try to do everything and to God's people to convince them that they are forgotten and lost and, and will never be rescued from Egypt, that they are exiled from their home to Babylon and they will never see it again. And it's true, some didn't. People, people died in those places without ever returning to their home, or the people of, who, who escaped from Egypt, they went to a home they had never seen before, that only their ancestors, generations, decades, centuries before had, had, had possessed. Hmm. The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. There's, there's something else that also is going on here. There's that, the, that Yahweh fights for the people who hate his people. He, he fights because you would trust in princes. I'll say a little bit more about that. And even the nations who surround me, all of these are proven powerless against that right hand of our God who works victory, who works salvation for his people.
Yeah, I mean, the fact that there is no historical superscription on this psalm really allows us to, to think about it in those variety of ways. And it is a marvelous thing to see how it does apply to the people of Israel throughout their history, to the church still today. And I think, you know, particularly as you start to look at verses 19 and following, which we, we will get to, but even in, in the earlier parts, it's not difficult to hear Jesus as the I. Like Jesus can pray these words very easily, and you can see how they apply to his own life as well, which I think just adds a, another a wonderful element to this psalm. It's a very, you know, on the one hand, the psalmist speaks of the distress and the trouble that he's in, and yet there is this great confidence that the Lord is on his side, and so he's not going to fall into any real trouble or any lasting trouble. Uh, verses 8 and 9 are, are wonderful about who the true refuge is. And again, thinking through the, the history of the people of Israel, there's a number of times where the kings of Judah make this mistake, where they try to take refuge in some prince around them, thinking that the allies of Assyria or whoever it may be, that'll be their salvation. And it's it's when it's nice to see when a king like Hezekiah listens to a prophet like Isaiah and actually does what Psalm 118 says, he takes refuge in the Lord rather than in man or in princes. Better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes, than to trust in, in anything that is. And this, I don't want to, I don't want to leap, but but this is a prayer that, that the church should remember uh, wherever we are. Now, we, we live, you and I live in, in the United States uh, just in this month. I know we're late in July now, but it's been Independence Day. It's a time to reflect on that. But how easy it is, how easy it is to find our idol in any prince, in any prince. It could be a governor. It could be a president. It, it could be anyone who seems to, who seems to be uh, the one who will lead us out of the wilderness, so to speak, uh, politically. But, but why, why do we not trust in princes? First, because they're ineffective. They can't do what only God can do. They're, they're, they're transient. They, they will only last for a time. However good they are, uh, a, prince, a prince will die. A, prince, uh, a new one will take, will take office. And, and I think above all, Pastor Apple, because, because it's deceptive, it makes us believe something that's that's not true. It takes us back to the garden to believe to believe a lie. It is better to take refuge in the Lord. And once more, when do we when do we often speak this? Walking to a grave, walking with the body of a saint who will be committed to the ground in the sure and certain hope of the resurrection. It is better to take refuge in the Lord and in His promises. Right, and this isn't to say that that politics or the the civil life of of Americans is somehow unimportant, but it is to put it in its its proper place. I mean, you you probably how many elections have you lived through that there were the most important one in your lifetime? Right. Every every one, right? <laughs> At least that's the way it's been for me. <laughs> but I, I the thing that I, I appreciate about it, these verses, putting it in the full context of the Psalter, where it says you know it's better to take refuge in the Lord, particularly than to trust in princes. I think that that reminds us to think through the Psalms that have pointed out how the Lord sets up his true king, the Messiah, the Christ. And and to think then about the way that this Psalm will get used on Palm Sunday, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They attach that to acclaiming Jesus as the king, which is true. He is the king, but he's not king in the sense of these earthly princes of which these verses speak. He's the king who comes to die, 
to rise to be this cornerstone that's rejected and yet he truly is set up as the cornerstone. So it, those verses certainly provide quite a bit of reflection and certainly are, are very helpful to us in our, our American context and, and really for any Christian living under an earthly government. Very helpful verses. And as you said, when, it, when push comes to shove and you're at the graveside, it is no prince who will help, but it is only the Lord who can be the true refuge. The nations, the nations that surrounded that the psalmist speaks of and, and whatever the foes are, he uses some interesting language, doesn't he? He, he talks about he talks about bees and thorns yeah. and and just just a little bit of a, a maybe maybe to find this in Deuteronomy chapter one as, as they're taking possession of the land. Uh, chapter, uh, Deuteronomy one, verse 44, it compares the Amorites to to these these bees that are pestering and surrounding and and I, I guess depending on certain people's circumstances bees can be just an annoyance but for some people they can be deadly this this can be very serious and yet for the psalmist to say oh these even these bees they will be they will be cut off i will cut them off now you've reminded us that these could well be prophetic words messianic words that, that our Lord finally will cut them off. And like a thorn bush would be burned, a dry thorn bush could, could be ignited very quickly and, and the fire is gone. The danger, the danger is over. Interesting, uh, as, it, as it will be, fun fact, uh, he says, I will cut, I cut them off, I cut them off, I cut them off. Mm-hmm. It's the same word that the word for circumcise uh, comes from, is that... And, and our Lord who, who takes for his own possession this people and, and removes them from, from the surrounding nations is the one who, who cuts off for, for righteousness sake to hold, them, to hold them as his own special possession. Well, and, and just the way that he repeats that three times again, there's, that's one thing about this psalm. You see a lot of repetition. And not only did he cut them off, but he says he cut them off in the name of the Lord. And it, it seems that it comes to a bit of a, a climax in verse 13, where you know the psalmist says, I was pushed hard, I was fa- falling, but the Lord helped me. So that this, this work that he has done is once again, the Lord providing that deliverance. It's not from his own strength. It's not from the strength of any other man, but it is the Lord who is helping him in his name in his name. That's a good place to take our break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We're looking at Psalm 118 with Pastor Mark Bars. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. What do you think of when you hear the word college? Expensive? Liberal? Woke? Imagine a college that is affordable. A college that is unapologetically conservative and Lutheran. A college that won't take a dime of federal funding. A college that teaches the best of our Western heritage. A college where students grow in the Christian faith instead of leaving it behind. This is Luther Classical College. A college by Lutherans and for Lutherans. Visit our website, lutherclassical.org. Subscribe. Become a patron. 
and join the thousands who are making Luther Classical College a reality. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Wednesday, July 27th. We're studying Psalm 118 with Pastor Mark Bars. He serves at Crown of Life Lutheran Church in San Antonio, Texas. Pastor Bars, prior to the break, we left off in verse 14, where the psalmist says, The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. These are familiar words from, I think, the book of Exodus. Wonderful words. They can, they do connect with, with verse 13 because I was pushed back. The, the language of the, of the Hebrew is that it was, I was pushingly pushed back. Hmm. It was, it's intensified. It's one verb, one verb on top of another. But the Lord helped me. Uh, I, there's so many, there's so many stories in scripture of, of Daniel, yeah. Daniel in the lion's den or, or David fighting Goliath or just, so many that we could that we could recall who could possibly win who could possibly win those battles so what is the response of the psalmist what is the response of the covenant people of god who cry out his steadfast love endures forever they say they shout they sing the lord is my strength and my song he has become my salvation and it's echoed again in verse 15 Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The tents of the righteous were gathered around Mount Sinai when they camped there as, as Moses would go up the mountain and, and hear the covenant word and, and bring the message down. And we know other things that happened that happened at that time that shouldn't have happened, that shouldn't have happened as well. But we are as well living in tents on our journey. Paul uses that language about the tent, the tent of the body. So what are we singing? What are we shouting? What are we proclaiming? The Lord is my strength and my song. This is very likely referencing to the great song of Moses, the song of the sea, Exodus chapter 15, when they cross through the Red Sea. Most of the of chapter 15 is that song of Moses. We get the song of Miriam at the end when, when, they, when they're singing as well. God's people are always singing the song of salvation. It is, as Psalm 96 tells us, it is to sing a new song. Yeah. It is not simply to rehearse and remember what our ancestors used to sing. But the psalmist tells us there that, that there is and will be, will be a new song. Mm how good it is that the gospel of Luke particularly loves the songs. And we've had some conversation about this. So many of your listeners have, have heard this not too long ago, the, the songs that happen in the, in this gospel of Luke of, of Zechariah and of Mary and of the angels and of Simeon, all of those who, who offer their praises to God. He is our strength and our song. He has become he has become our salvation so that there is joyful shouting and salvation. It's, it can't be helped. It, it, must, it must be shouted and sung. It must be until, and here's the anticipation, as, as we wait, as we live in tents, as we are camped in the wilderness, as it feels that way sometimes, we long for and we are given the promise that we will be gathered around the throne of the Lamb, Revelation chapter 5, Revelation chapter 7, and we will sing an unending song of the Lamb. We will sing to our crucified 
and risen and ascended and glorified Lord. This is a really marvelous way of looking at Psalm 118, which I, I have always connected with Holy Week, Palm Sunday in particular. But to see it now in this light, that this is the church's song as we travel in these tents on the way to eternity, what a what a wonderful thing. That really puts our, our weekly worship into a, a beautiful perspective that we are recounting. We're on this journey right now, waiting for those gates to be opened to us in eternity in the resurrection of the dead. That's a marvelous way of looking at Psalm 118. I, my eyes are being opened right now. This is fantastic. So in, in verse 16, we get that repetition again. The right hand of the Lord is going to act three times, and then the, the journey continues all the way through verse 18 before they're going to arrive in verse 19. Uh, give us the, the rest of this section through verse 18. The right hand of the Lord. It is it is a, a symbol of strength. And why it's the right hand, the left hand, I hope we're not offending anybody, those, those south paws that are, that are out there. But it is <laughs> but it is the right hand. It is it is Christ himself who will who will be seated at the right hand of the Father as we confess, as we confess in the creeds. This is this is God's strength. This is God's power. It does valiantly. It exalts. It does valiantly. It it repeats. Uh, we've had the the triple repetition now. I think this is the the third time that we've had it within the psalm in some form uh, to remind us that the strength is not in ours. It did take us back to our idolatry that would trust in man or trust in princes, and only the Lord. Only the Lord will fight for us. The one who who ultimately stretches out his own arms and and they are nailed to that nailed to that cross. What seems to be weakness is yet the right hand of the Lord doing valiantly. And then the great surprise and victory of Easter morning that these words as well of verse 17 are our risen Savior's words, I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. They're his own boast. Uh, Paul speaks about boasting only in the cross of Jesus Christ. Well, Christ himself can boast only that he is raised in victory. He has given us life. He was chastened severely. He did endure not only the painful, the painful death of crucifixion, but he endured the grave for us. He rested there for us. He sanctified our graves, which is why once more we can boldly walk to a grave and, and yet proclaim this body will be raised in the resurrection. This body will be given new life. This body and soul will be joined together and, and will for all eternity sing, sing the Lord's song. He has not given me over not to ultimate death. Yes, there will be physical death, it is, it is for me, it is for me at some point, if, if it is not before, uh, before our Lord's promised return, there will be physical death. And carry me to the grave, carry me, to, carry me, plant me, plant me in the hope and the promise of the resurrection. Mm, yeah, that's right. That's right. To, in the hope that the gates of righteousness will, in fact, open to us on the last day. What a, what a glorious hope. So that does bring us then to the, the entrance. Again, if we're thinking about a procession toward the temple, we come in verse 19 to the gates and, and the, the ex- exclamation is open them up that we may come in. Uh, what's, what's being said in verses 19 and 20 both talk about the gates. The gates, the gates of righteousness. The righteousness is is strong throughout throughout the Psalms, throughout the Scriptures. Of course, righteousness is a gift. Luther's 
Luther's issue about wishing he could attain righteousness. He does, he does love this psalm, and I wonder if this is one of the reasons why, mm. that the gates of righteousness he discovered are open to him. That's the truth, the very truth of the gospel, that I don't show up with, with a magic password. I don't show up with, with a key that I've manufactured, and, and I try to place it in the lock and, and open, but I cry out, I cry out, open to me the gates of righteousness. We plead, we plead the righteousness of Christ. We are clothed with his righteousness. We show up at the temple gates in that way. And to enter and give, and give thanks to the Lord, uh, to, to, offer, to offer our praise for all that he has done, all, that, all his promises made true. It is, it is to tell the salvation story. For this psalmist, it was to say he took us out of Egypt. He brought us home from exile. But in the bigger picture, in the more wonderful picture, the church has saw now is that we are brought out of, the, out of the slavery of sin and death in Egypt. We are brought from that separation of exile in Babylon. We are brought into the, into the family of God and given a time of celebration. I, I have to think of of Luke chapter 15 right now, when, mm. when this, this gathering, well, first of all, the shepherd who finds the lost sheep and calls together his, his neighbors and friends and says, rejoice with me. The woman who finds the coin and must, must celebrate with her friends and neighbors. But the father who calls for the feast and says, my son was dead, but he is alive. He was lost. He is found. That joyful celebration. That's what happens. That's how we give thanks that's how we give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I mentioned earlier, we talked a little bit previously about the different gates, the, the, court, the court of the Gentiles, the farthest out, the court of the women, of the Jewish women, the court of the men, the court of the priests. The priests themselves rarely entered the temple. And, and to do so, they only entered into the holy place only once a year. Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, into the Holy of Holies. So, so the gates of righteousness are wide open. There are no more. There are no more barriers. That curtain has been torn. That curtain be, that divided the holy place from the Holy of Holies has been torn down. Little does this psalm know of those events that will happen years and years later. But that's the truth that is pointing us to. Well, and just to, you know, I mean, as we're talking about the way that this has been fulfilled in the past and the way we're seeing it fulfilled in our Lord, and of course then, I mean, we, you've pointed us toward through the, the committal the litany and, and liturgy that it will be fulfilled for us. Even now these things are being fulfilled for us. The open to me, the gates of righteousness. I think the, the hymn open now thy gates of beauty is, is based on, on these words, which is meant as an opening of worship hymn. So every time we come into the Lord's presence in word and sacrament, these words are being fulfilled now for us in the present. So past, present, future, we're seeing how these words of the Lord come to fulfillment for us. In in verse 21 and then in verse 22, we come to familiar language in the Gospels. Jesus quotes this psalm concerning himself, particularly verse 22. Uh, keep moving us forward in this psalm. We thank our God. We thank our God. We give thanks to the Lord. He has answered me as become our salvation. Uh, the nations surrounded me. Uh, they, they taunted me. Uh, they were like, they were like uh, tormenting, bothersome, bothersome bees. And, and yet the Lord 
has become my salvation. And the language of the stone, possibility, was, was this psalm used or even composed when foundation stones were being reset at the temple, even before it was completed and, and they, could, they could rededicate after, after the exile. The stone that the builders rejected. Jesus tells, tells the parable of the tenants in the Gospel of Matthew. And, and then he names himself. He names himself as the one who is, who is rejected and yet becomes the cornerstone or the head of the corner. One of the most profound things that I saw on my trip to Israel five years ago was beneath the wall, the foundation wall of the temple are still stones that were tumbled down by the Roman 10th Legion when, when the temple was, was, finally, was finally destroyed. And, and those stones are going to stay there until Christ returns. I know there are Zionist Jews and some, some Christians who say, no, the temple's going to be rebuilt. Well, it doesn't need to be because the church has a cornerstone. Christ is himself the cornerstone. Peter tells us that we are the living stones built into this temple. Indeed, the book of Revelation tells us that in chapter 21, that in the new heavens and the new earth, we'll look around for the temple and we'll say, where is it? And Jesus will say, I'm the temple. I am the one who has completed the sacrifices. I am the place of prayer. I am the one that you will worship for all of eternity. He is that cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Last month, we actually, I guess we borrowed and saved from, oh my goodness, with, with, with things that happened during COVID and how things got scheduled and rescheduled. Uh, we ended up doing Vacation Bible School now in this year, 2022, using last year's theme. And it was it was. He has done marvelous things. And, and the children said that over and over again. And, and we uh, big people, we grownups, we said it with them and we said it together. He has done marvelous things, marvelous in our eyes. I would say more marvelous than, than we could imagine. Paul uses that language more than we could ask or imagine. This is what he has done. So we come to this, this key verse. This is the day that the Lord has made. Verse 24, let us rejoice and be glad in it. And what day is it? Well, it is the day that we recall all that God has done. But if there is a day, it will be and it will anticipate the, the day of resurrection, the, the day that means the new exodus has been completed. Sin does not hold us captive, nor does the grave hold us captive because of what Christ himself has done for his people. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. We are, the church is, is always in between, isn't it? Uh, the, the psalm was in between the first exodus and, and an anticipated messianic exodus that, that they we're hearing, had heard plenty about through prophets, through, through the inspired writings of scripture, even if they had come home from exile. Is this it? Is this all? Is it, we're back, we're back in Jerusalem, we're back in Israel, and say, no, there is, there is more yet to come. There will be a day, a new and a greater day 
that the church will exalt in. We begin the Lenten season, I remind our listeners, by, by speaking language from Isaiah in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Mm-hmm. Now is the day of salvation. We begin Ash Wednesday, uh, the Lenten journey, with that call. And it's taking us, yes, to the day of crucifixion, yes, to the day of resurrection, the days of salvation. A day, singular, this is the day the Lord has made. And, and we look forward to that. So this, I and mean, that's what I love about putting this verse in the context of Psalm 118, uh, a prayer that I think many Christians might use just every morning, that this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it, which is certainly fine uh, and a wonderful Christian piety to rejoice every new day that you give, that you see from the Lord. But to put it in the context of Psalm 118 invites us then to take every new day from the Lord as one in which we're looking forward to that day that you're talking about, the one in which our Lord appears and he takes us home to himself in the resurrection. So what a, what a wonderful thing to see this very common Christian prayer put in the context of the salvation of the Lord. Verse 25 takes us to the salvation. And now it is it is a plural here. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O, o Lord, we pray, give us success. What's being prayed in verse 25? Well, I would hope that we could we could connect this to the very name that Jesus has given. So in Aramaic, we would say Yeshua. In Greek, we say Jesus. We say we say Jesus. And what does it mean? Both Mary and Joseph ahead of time are told this is the baby's name. Don't need to guess. Don't need to imagine. Don't need to uh, find some baby book list. Name the child Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. It's as if in this verse, the, the name is the prayer. When it's save us, that's, that's the verb that is in the name of, of Yeshua. Uh, be our savior, we pray. And, oh Lord, give us success. That, that, sounds, that sounds, and unfortunately in, in the modern church, that can be distorted in, in some really terrible ways. But think of what Paul says when he writes to the Christians in Philippi. He who has begun a good work in you will bring it to completion. This is the prayer and this is the promise. It is, it is that longing of, of the final restoration, the, the, great, the great gift. Not that, not that our lives on earth are, are simply to be, to be passed in doing uh, less than important things no we are given vocations we are given we are given privileges to be servants and witnesses and to show and to show mercy but our prayer is that it will finally be brought to completion save us we pray be faithful to your name we pray in the name of jesus we're praying every time when we use his name that he would save us and save us fully and save us completely Hmm. That connecting it to the name of Jesus leads right into the next verse. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Here's another part of the Palm Sunday song. And did the people, did the people who were who were chanting that uh, as as Jesus enters Jerusalem, how much how much were they aware that blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, that this would be the one who would bless them in a way that they never expected, by a cross beam placed upon his shoulders, staggering to a little hill called Golgotha. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. 
it is why the church must continue to sing it and, and why we do on, when, we celebrate, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. He is the one who brings blessing. He is the one who blesses us by his gifts of salvation, forgiveness, life, and salvation. Save us, we pray, O Lord. Bless us as you are the blessed one, the salvation giver, the salvation the salvation winner for all of the world. Now, as we come to verse 27, this is perhaps one that we're less familiar with. We don't hear it quoted on Palm Sunday. I don't know that it shows up in our liturgy, but this matter of, of binding the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar, that seems pretty significant given some of the Holy Week context we've talked about. What, what's there in verse 27? Well, the possibility is this. There are some different different ways that this language could mean. There, there were ways that, that the people who are bringing their sacrifices would, would carry them forward and, yes, give them to the priests. The, the individuals didn't sacrifice. The priests, that was their, that was their role. Uh, there, is, there is, in some way, the language of carrying even branches, palm branches, hyssop branches, and they could be could be tied to to the horns, the corners, the corners of the altar. I'm grateful for for one of my favorite professors, uh, Rev Rosso, years ago at the seminary for for encouraging us to find gospel handles. And the gospel handle that I find here is of a man who carried a sacrifice, an unknown sacrifice to the to the one who would be sacrificed who carried him up a mountain. It was Isaac and Abraham. And he he bound him, and he placed him on the altar. And he thought that, as the writer to the Hebrew says, God would have to cause a resurrection because his promised son was going to have to die. And even with the knife in the hand, even with the knife in the hand, and and his arm is stopped, ah, his right arm is stopped to not carry out the sacrifice, and and the lamb is provided. Is this even in its kind of, hmm, I wonder if this means possibility of the great sacrifice who was bound not with cords, but with Roman spikes through his wrists and through his feet, who was bound to the altar of the cross for us and for all people, which is why they can, they cannot but exclaim, you are my God, and I will give thanks to you. I will extol you. I cannot stop speaking of what you have done. And so the church sings, and so the church will always say, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Pastor Bars, we have about four minutes here on the morning as we reach the end of Psalm 118, a marvelous prayer, a wonderful prophecy concerning our Lord's own work during Holy Week, and a wonderful psalm for us to continue to sing as we anticipate the last day. How, how do we wrap up Psalm 118? Give us the, the good news uh, from this beautiful psalm. Well, here's a little bit that, that I would have to wonder with, our, with you and with those who are listening. What did what did many of us hear last Sunday? Um, the The readings were these. Uh, the readings were from Genesis 18. Uh, Abraham interceding for Sodom. This really rather strange conversation. This 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 pleading uh, on behalf of his on behalf of his nephew, really, but but for people that 
he maybe didn't know until the Lord promises, for the sake of ten, I will not destroy the city. And then the epistle reading from Colossians chapter 2 that told us that we heard these wonderful words that we are buried with Christ in baptism and raised with Jesus through faith. We are made alive together with our Lord. And what did that right hand of God do? It canceled the debt of sin. Again, from Colossians 2, nailing it to the cross. And then, as we hear in certain readings throughout, throughout the church here, and in this time of the church, this long Pentecost season, we heard from Luke chapter 11. We heard the Lord's Prayer. Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. How else can the people of God respond than to give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. We are the people of God waiting, waiting on our journey, trusting what God the Father in Christ has done, just as the people who first sang and, and prayed this psalm gave thanks for what God had done in Egypt. We look for the final resolution. We, we long for our God to be faithful to all of his promises that he will deliver, that he will deliver. And there will be the new heavens and the new earth. The Lord is our strength and he is our song. He is our very salvation. I did look because you know I like to find other hymns. You mentioned one already. And, and here's some possibilities. So from the Holy Week section of hymns, which, which sings, All glory, Lord, and honor to you, Redeemer King. And then it says, You are the King of Israel and David's royal son. Now in the Lord's name coming, our King and Blessed One. The, it, coming in the Lord's name, the Blessed One. It also suggests that the day the Lord has made is the festival day. I don't know if, if all of our listeners are familiar with this hymn as much, but uh, here's the refrain for Easter that goes this way. Hail the festival day, blessed day to be hallowed forever. Day when our Lord was raised, breaking the kingdom of death. The day the, day the Lord has made, the day of his victory for, for us and for all people, a, a victory that we cling to in faith and that we say then over and over again, we give thanks to you, O Lord, for you are good. Your steadfast love endures forever. Pastor Mark Bars is pastor at Crown of Life Lutheran Church in San Antonio, Texas, helping us today with Psalm 118. Pastor Bars, thanks for being our guest today. You are very welcome. I'm glad it could be. This is the day the Lord has made. We rejoice and are glad in the salvation that he has won for us in his son, Jesus Christ, and that he will deliver fully on the last day, the resurrection of the dead. I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. We always love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.